Blog Talk Radio. March 23rd, 2018. We got a guest today. The last time he was, it's May 23rd, not March. Am I crazy? May 2-3, 2018. The guest today, the last time he was on the show was in February 2008. He wasn't crazy to come back right away, but he's here today. But let me, let me tell you a little something before we get to that. Someone posted a good question on my Facebook group yesterday. She was recruiting salespeople. Then all of a sudden, she's an inside corporate recruiter. All of a sudden, they pushed her over to look for engineers. And there's nobody in the company who wants to spend time teaching her about engineering. And so she asked the question, what would you do if you had a big change in the type of candidate you're looking for? You've never recruited that kind of person before. Right? What should I do? And she got a great reply from good old Amy Miller. Amy said, I have changed tech disciplines quite a few times and recently I was terrified at the thought of calling up computer vision PhDs with tons of patents to their names but I found out something it's no different than recruiting truck drivers not ever know that she recruited truck drivers I think that was you know metaphorical but here's what she says all you have to do is ask questions uncover their pain points repeat back what you think you hear for confirmation and then connect the dots to the job you're working on here she goes on once I know that someone is interested in a role I ask them what they would want the hiring manager to know about them so they're going to look like a top candidate for that position. I've never asked anybody that, at least not in that way. So I'm going to take that lesson from Amy. Here She goes on just a little more. I'm almost done. She says, I can't tell you how many times candidates have actually thanked me for not pretending to know something I don't. I always tell them my job is to connect people with an opportunity, and when the time comes to negotiate a badass offer for them, she says, I don't mess with the technical stuff, and she actually tells them that. Now, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that what Amy said is true, but let me tell you something. She's been on this show a number of times, and she's not an ordinary person. She's a great talker, and she radiates liveliness and confidence. So by all means, follow her advice, but be aware that you're not her, okay? Because I'm not her. I'm not as good as her, and I know it, okay? Now stay tuned. I'm very humble. Stay tuned for Jerry. Jerry! What show is this? The Recruiting Animal Yeah, 
I want to thank my sponsors as well, Jerry. Let me thank the sponsors. Let me get it out of the way, okay? Martin Snyder, the boss at PC Recruiter, the Swiss Army Knife, speaking of Switzerland, the Swiss Army Knife of Recruiting Software, Nin Tran, the COO of Hire Tool, H-I-R-E-T-U-A-L, the super-duper sourcing tool, and Nick Livingston, the CEO of Honeit, H-O-N-E-I-T, the online interview technology. You know, we got some superstars here today. Michael Hanula, yep. you know, the show wasn't good enough for him to come back for 10 years, but he made yep. it back Big day. finally. Big day. Yeah. And uh, that Australian guy, Rob McIntosh, he called in. I don't know how long he's going to be on the line for, and I don't care. But he's here today, and he's a big shot, let me tell you. Rob, say hi to everybody. Say hi to everybody, Rob McIntosh, so they know I'm not lying. (laughs) Hello. I can't do an Australian accent. You blew it. it. He's already gone, man. No, I'm still here. I was just giving him that pregnant pause, so to speak, to freak you out, Michael. Yeah, right. Okay, don't mumble. Okay, anyway, let's go to talk to Michael Homula. At, he, on Twitter, he's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Homula, H-O-M-U-L-A. Ah, you must have a lot of p- problems with people spelling your name, Mike. Are you here? Michael, are you here? I'm, I'm, I'm here, Animal. What's up? Okay, well, why don't you tell us what you – you didn't pick a song or anything, and neither did I, so we'll skip the song – what do you do, okay? And if you don't start to tell us well, I'll interrupt and do it for you, okay? I, I would expect nothing less. So, yeah. look, I'm, an, I'm a retained executive recruiter who plays a senior-level talent. Out, baby. And that, that's as simple as it gets right there. I do, I do own and manage the firm, but pretty much I work a full desk every single day. Okay, cool. can everybody hear him? Jerry, is he loud enough? Uh, yeah, he's, yep, yep, yep. Okay. Okay. Can we ask questions me, already? Okay, ask a question. But what's that noise in the background? What's that noise? Somebody's got. I had to turn thing. the volume up because you're not loud enough, animal. I had to turn it up a little more. Okay. Hey, just a, just a quick question. As I'm, you know, I always like to picture our guests, where they are, what's going on in their office, kind of thing. You mentioned uh-huh. you're you're with a you own the firm. How many how many other folks work with you? What's What's the makeup of, of the uh, others on the fir- in the firm? Yeah, I have two research professionals. Right. I have one recruiter and an admin person. It's a pretty small boutique-style firm. Sweet. Okay. Thank and, you. Any senior people, directors, VPs, uh, senior vice presidents, executive vice presidents, and CEOs. So anything from director up, that's it. And you're in a specific sector. What's that, financial? <laughs> Yeah, so we, we focus in on strategic pricing, revenue growth, and revenue management roles. Okay, whatever that is, doesn't matter. And the company's uh, size are between $500 million and $7 billion, is that right? Yeah, that's kind of the, that's a big way to define middle market, but that's how we define middle market. Now, we do work with companies that are smaller, and we've worked with some that are larger, but that's kind of the sweet spot. Okay, now I'll tell you something. I looked at your old blog as well, the one you mostly deleted there's some stuff still up there and you wrote an article a number of years ago and it says people don't like email and i kind of think you still believe that because most of your work you like to stress cold calling is preferred now you tell us and we're going to get to it you tell us the best kind of email that you have success with but you're a cold caller primarily because you believe people don't like emails is that true 
I think at the level that I recruit, the feedback that I receive is that is true. Yeah, I think most people want to have a personal interaction with with the the individual that's going to represent them professionally on a on a career transition. Uh, the executive level people want to talk. They want to engage. Receiving an email is um, to them, it's a lot like spam. It feels like that old telemarketing call that they used to get. They get a lot of them, and they mostly disregard them. Okay, I'm going to quote some of the things you said. My company, this is for more junior people, my company is able to track and read all of my emails. I am not fond of my boss and company knowing I am getting emails from recruiters. That's one thing you said. Here's another quote. And I think you actually surveyed people and got these quotes from people. Do recruiters whom I don't know at all, really think I'm going to respond to an impersonal email about my career. If they do, I'm completely insulted. Maybe that was in the past, but I don't know. Is that still true? I think it's largely true. I think email has gained more broad acceptance than it did at the time that I wrote those things. But generally, I think it is still true. I think most candidates, again, at the executive level, I, I, it may be different for a mid-career professional. I haven't recruited for those roles in a while. But at the executive level, I think it largely still is true. Look, I had a call just this morning with a candidate who told me that he will not engage a contingency recruiter, and he will not engage with somebody who approaches them for the very first time with an email because he doesn't believe that they're serious enough to take the time to try to get to know him in a five to 10 minute initial introductory call. And that means that they're not equipped to handle his career transition. Okay. Does anybody want to challenge him on that? Come on. There must be somebody here. Nobody. No. <laughs> okay. Everybody agrees then that uh, we're all know, cold, calls, cold calls are better than email. I know that on the Facebook group, nobody believes that. Okay. But, but but everybody here on the Recruiting Animal Show, no one's got the guts to say, I disagree with Michael Homula. Okay, well, okay, fine. Can we say we that agree with him? Well, Alan Floor, silence is, a, is a consent, isn't it? Maybe in Canada. Wow. Do you agree with what he said about emails and cold calls? Because he's got a at different the level point he, of view. At the, at the level he's at, yes. Because when well, you're you talking do? to when you're talking to more experience, oh Adam, how many times have I told you to pick up the damn phone? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. I mean, I want to get to know a person now. I'd be curious because calling calling first, but then texting if you've got the cell phone because everybody's busy and so, a lot of times those those high level people they're in meetings they're out with others. You, you call and then you text and you say left you a voicemail. You might be unavailable to talk right now. Short message. Okay. Here you go. Okay. Okay. Next thing, Michael Homula. You say that there's a big problem. People tell you that when recruiters call them, they sound too salesy, uh, and, and you think there's on the initial phone call no talk about sales. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I I'm not going to take full credit for this because I was trained by Peter Lefkowitz, who most of us know. Um, many, many moons ago. I think the reason why recruiters sound too salesly is that we all sound the same. Uh, most of us were trained the same early in our career in terms of our approach to candidates. It's a standard call, right? I'm, I'm Michael with XYZ Firm. I'm representing a company that does this. This is the title of the role I'm working on. This is what they're going to do. This is how much it's paid. This is where it's worth. Are you interested? 
that's the call. And it's, it's, we all sound the same. We sound like a bunch of damn robots who have no uniqueness, no value proposition, no differentiator between ourselves and the next recruiter that's going to call. So, not, not just for the record, though, and, and, and I, I agree with you, a lot of recruiters sound the same, but that wasn't the Pete Lefkowitz. The Pete Lefkowitz is the, let me take some of the mystery out of my call. Well, that, yes. That's yes. the Pete Lefkowitz, and then it goes off in a different direction. But we do all sound yeah, Jerry, to wake up. He was telling you what the bad call is, and Pete Lefkowitz No, he was saying that we all coach. sound like Pete Lefkowitz. No, I'm saying that we that most recruiters all sound the same. Uh, I agree with okay. you. Look, my approach is, is very similar. In fact, gotcha. I would say it's the exact same. I mean, I don't know that I've changed my script since Peter taught me back okay, in the day. Okay, so let, me tell, let me tell you something. First of all, I don't see anything wrong with your first uh, delivery. It's to the point. It sounded professional. I liked it. What do you do instead of that that differentiates you from people like me? Go ahead. Yeah, I start off with the value proposition of why me versus working with another recruiter. And, again, I think it has a lot to do with the level that I work at, right? Those folks want to engage with somebody who is an expert in their field. And I don't mean just industry field. I mean they're an expert as a recruiter, as an executive talent representative. So my approach is, you know, just like I think it was Jerry that said it, right? Once I get them on the phone, said, hey, someone recommended we talk, or, you know, I've come across your profile and you clearly seem to be somebody who stands out. Let me take the mystery out of my call. It's I work for a firm that's retained by some of the most select clients in the, in the world to identify, evaluate, and place senior-level talent in this space. I don't know what your current situation is. I don't know if you're open to making a change at this point in time. But the reason I called you specifically is you seem to stand out, and I'd like to find out if you might be open to considering an opportunity if it's better than what you might be doing today. I'm not pitching a job. I'm not pitching a company. I'm trying to understand if this person is even positioned at all for growth or another opportunity because it doesn't make sense for me to pitch a job until I at least establish that, and it doesn't make sense for me to pitch a job until I know what they value, what matters to them, and how they might make a career decision. My clients retain me and pay a lot of money to make sure that I'm evaluating correctly, and if I don't start that evaluation in a vacuum – then that person starts performing for me for a job versus me just really getting to know them. You know what? I got to tell you, I'll be frank. That second, the second uh, um, delivery, the the second introduction sounded way more salesy than the first. The first one was modest. I'm a recruiter. I'm working on a position. I'd like to have a chat with you about it. The second is, hey, look at me. I'm fantastic. I work for a company that's, you know, hired by the best for the best. You know, well, not every recruiter is hired by the best for the best. You know, are you the only one in the world who can use a delivery like that or, or some elite group of recruiters? What about the rest of us? Number two issue, I don't think there's that much difference between these uh, d- directors and the people below them. You tell me, are they that different? Look, I, it's been a long time since I've recruited at roles below director level, so it's not necessarily – I'm not sure I'm the best equipped to answer that, but there may not be differences. Look, the approach I just described that I learned again from Lefkowitz back in the day, I've used at junior levels in the past with a great deal of success. So uh, I, I may be able to make the argument that, at least anecdotally, uh, you're right. It probably would work at the more junior levels as well. It's been a while since I've tested that, though, just being honest. 
Okay. You know, when I saw uh, Peter Lefkowitz uh, one of the times, it was a long time ago, he told me I looked like James Taylor. And I don't, but I don't look like James Taylor. Okay. He told me I need to decide whether I want a career in recruiting or not. Oh, did he? (laughs) I guess you decided. 1989. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, so, you know, from your surveys, Mike, when people don't deliver, you know, when they come across as being too salesy, uh, people say, I felt used. The experience made me feel like a piece of meat. Who do they think they are calling me and trying to sell me their job without even knowing anything about me? So this whole thing is you're saying you have to know something about the person before you talk about any kind of job. So you gave us the initial pitch. Where does it go from there? Do you just try to arrange another time to uh, interview them about themselves? Uh, You know, it really depends on whether they're leaning into that call and they have time to continue a little bit more dialogue. That first call I generally don't want to see go longer than probably 20 to 30 minutes. If they say, yeah, you know, I'd be willing to stay open to hear about situations that might be better than what I'm doing today. My next question is, great, that that sounds right. Do you have a few more minutes to talk so we can kind of take this to the next step? If they say yes, then I, then I simply ask, why do you think that you're positioned now to consider other opportunities? What, what's going on? Is there something going on in your current situation? Is there something happening that's making you more open now than at other times? Then I'm going to ask them, <clears throat> what's a better opportunity look like? What would be the two or three core criteria you would use to define a better role? And what's the two or three core criteria you would define a better company? If those things aren't them kicking tires, meaning that I think they're properly motivated, they've got sound reasons to engage in a call like this, they're not just saying, well, it's always a good idea to stay open, or I'm looking for more money, or something like that, which there's nothing wrong with wanting more money, but it has to be kind of tied up with some other more elementary uh, um, motives. I think that if they've got those things, then I can say, look, here's what the next step would look like. I will tell you that very often – that next step is a little bit more detailed call where we're going to talk a lot more about how we work, what the expectations are for us, what the expectations are for them, what they should expect from us. We have a candidate bill of rights and we want to make it very clear how we work. We're very transparent about how we work with clients so that they know what that engagement is going to look like. Let me ask you um, a question we, before I forget. Hey, hey, I don't have much of a memory anymore. I got to ask you a question. That's all right. So you're asking them, you're asking them for a cri- the criteria they, they want to make a move, the kind of company and the kind of job. Do those things just, you know, come to, are they top of mind? Can they are, articulate that right away? Isn't that something they might have to think about, you know? And you're looking for them to just, you know, give it to you right away, and if they don't have it in hand, then you're going to dump them, it sounds like. I'm not going to dump them if they don't have it in hand, but what it, if they have it in hand, if it's something that they're able to, you know, rattle off two or three things, fairly quickly, it tells me that they're probably a little bit more Give me an example. Give than... me an example. Example. Okay. Yeah, so an example would be, look, in my current role today, the person that I report to has only been in that role two years, and they've got another five to seven years of runway. I see myself tapping out in, or, or capping out in the next year. So now they've, they've got some pain points around career growth or trajectory. They might say, look, I've, I've accomplished most everything I can accomplish here. I've solved these three problems, and I'm looking to kind of maybe do this on a larger scale. Those are some examples that would sound to me like somebody who's positioned for growth, 
and thinking strategically about their career. Now, now you heard my intro. Are, oh, hold on. I think you heard my intro, Amy Miller, who I have a great deal of respect for. She said, as she, do I. you know, she, does, she doesn't have to be an expert in what she's recruiting for. Uh, you know, here she, she doesn't know anything about computer vision, PhDs, and she's calling them up and saying, you know, are you good for this job? Teach me a little. And she said, you know, they thank her for those calls. You're telling us that if you don't have the domain expertise before you get on the phone, you can't establish a, a, a good relationship with anybody. They won't have any confidence in you. Which one is true? I think both, and I know that's me splitting hairs, but I look, I've pivoted a couple times in industries in my career professionally, and early on, I, I had to learn things before I became a domain expert. I will say that at the executive level, I think those candidates tend to put a bit more premium on you knowing the space, that you've got a network in that space, that you, you know the language at the very least, or that maybe you've done some work. Look, I'm in a strategic pricing arena, chief revenue officer type roles, revenue growth type roles. I've, I've worked for a consulting firm that did this kind of work for a time, and I led engagements in that space, actually worked with clients. So when it comes to building pricing strategy, I've done it. And so that helps me to have credibility with those individuals. Now, when I first started recruiting in the space, I hadn't done that work, and I still was able to make those recruiting calls. I just might not have been quite as good as I think I am today. So I think Amy's right. I think you can pivot and change, but you better really quickly immerse yourself in the space and learn and go to conferences and maybe even get a little bit of real-world work experience if you can. I was fortunate enough to do that, but that's what I would okay. recommend. But I think it's I a little do bit an of both. If somebody wants to – you've got Michael Hamula. He's an articulate expert on the line. Somebody's got a question. Now's the time, but I'm going to do an ad first, okay? So think about your questions. Hey, everybody. Recruiting animal here for PC Recruiter. I know Jerry doesn't like me to say that, but I like to introduce the ads that way, okay? That's my style. Now, you know what? I got a revelation for you. Not all kinds of recruiting are the same. You've got one recruiter working with salespeople in the travel industry, another is working with uh, contract uh, technical people in the data space. They're different, right? So you might think that the same applicant tracking system won't be good for both of them. But let me tell you something. You're wrong. That's wrong. Some recruiting software might be good for one type of recruiting and not another. That's true. I'll grant you that. I'll admit it, but it's not true about my sponsor, PC Recruiter, because PC Recruiter is good for all kinds of recruiting and all sizes of recruiting teams. And you know why? Michael G. Cox is on mute. He can't tell me, but I'll tell you. I'm, I'm not on mute. Okay, why is it, Michael G. Cox? Because they are highly configurable. Yes, they're configurable and adaptable. They don't impose their ideas on you. You get to shape the software. Thank you, Michael. You get to shape the software to suit the way you work. And if you don't know how to configure it yourself, they have a fabulous support team to help you. Every guest on this show who uses PC Recruiter says so. It doesn't matter if you're a member of a big team or a small team. You're a solo recruiter in your basement. They don't care. They'll help you. Big or small, they help them all. That's what PC Recruiter says, and here's what I say. Check them out at PCRecruiter.net. Michael G. Cox should bill me. I ask him every show, and he, and he knows. He actually knows the word. Okay, anybody? What's the, what's the going rate for one word? I don't know. A five-buck coffee card. <laughs> I don't know. 
sweet. Does anybody, Michael G. Cox, do you have a question for Michael Hamula? Come on. I no, man, I've, I've, I'm enjoying the show. It's been very informative. Uh-huh. Okay. Michael, this is you know, Rob. You... I've got a question for Michael. Go ahead, Rob. Michael, I'd be curious to know, and probably everyone who does executive recruiting or recruiting in general from an agency perspective, what percentage of time when you try and pick up a new client do you go to the business C-suite as first point of contact versus the CHRO? 100%. (laughs) It's not that I don't work with CHROs. Yeah, Yeah, it's not that I don't enjoy working with CHROs and it's not, or VPs or SVPs of HR, whoever might be kind of owning that space or maybe even a VP of talent acquisition or something. Um, in, In general, I've had good working relationships with those folks. But what I have found is that the, the business leader is far more receptive to my call than the HR person. I think the HR person is a lot like the gatekeeper, right? I've talked a lot and I've written articles about how to get around gatekeepers and how to manage that. I think those days are largely over, by the way. I think it's fairly easy to get right to people now. But um, I think the HR person is like the gatekeeper in many respects. And so I just avoid them, and it's not because I don't want to work with them. I just find that – Let me ask, how do you avoid people. them? How do you get through to the CEO directly? Come on. I, I find their direct line phone number. I find somebody within my network. Look, I've been recruiting for 24 years. My network is big enough now that if I don't know somebody who knows the person I'm trying to reach, that's a shock to me. Um, I, okay. I'm frankly well, surprised. What, about, what should a junior person do? What if you were, you know, you said a minute ago, once I was a junior man, okay? Mm-hmm. What if you were still junior? What would you do then? Sorry, Rob. I'll let you I, finish. But i got to know this. I'll find I'd find I'd find the executive's phone number and I'd call him. There, you know, there's yeah, there's you, you people who are really. You have to tell us how to find the executive phone. Find the executive phone number. Yeah, great advice. How do I do it? Well, okay, there's a couple of ways to do it, but besides, let me just let me just go there for just one second. It's easy to even just call into the direct line on a company and say, Hey, look, I'm trying to reach so and so. Can I have his number? And they'll, they'll connect you. Hey, just in case I get disconnected, can I have his direct line or maybe even his cell phone number? Who are you? And why are you I... calling? Why are you yep. calling this company? Yep. The nature of my call is confidential. If John is interested in including you in that dialogue, then I'm happy to share that information with you. But right now I think John gets to make that decision. So if John decides he wants to include you, that's great. But the nature of this call is of such sensitive nature that I think it, John needs to have control of making Rob that McIntosh. decision. Rob McIntosh. Rob McIntosh. Is that going to work? Well, clearly, if he's uh, making revenue and continued to make revenue for all the years Michael's been doing this, it clearly works, right? Okay. Finish your question then. Okay. I'm discounted. My concerns are stupid. Go ahead. Finish what you're talking about. Yeah, look, look, Rob, I, I think that um, if, if I have a relationship with that CHRO or, if, look, I might call you and say, hey, Rob, it looks like you really know this person. Can you make an introduction? Does it make sense for me to work this avenue? I'll trust your judgment and we'll go that way. But very often I just find that it's more fruitful, more productive for me to have that initial dialogue. And very often I'm the one driving, bringing HR in. Once that executive says, yeah, you know what, we're struggling. We'd really like to get some work here. We'd like to get something done. I'll say, look, let's have a conference call with your chief talent officer or your chief HR officer, and let's talk about how we partner. Because it's not just simply taking a job order from me. I go through a very rigorous process of vetting the client as much as they go through vetting me. Um, I, I don't do transactional kinds of things with my clients. So 
uh, every client that's new gets a, a day to a day and a half of of on-site relationship building. Yeah, before you get to that, to hold on. I got, que- I got questions about that. I want to know. So we, you told us what you say when you call up a, a, a prospective candidate, when you call a candidate. When you call up a senior executive in a company, uh, what do you say then? What's your pitch? Yeah, some of it just and, depends on whether or not I've been introduced or not. But, you know, the general pitch is, you know, look, I'm, I'm an executive recruiter who, um, you know, selects a handful of companies every year that we want to target and do business with, right? And we have recently come across your business. I've done some homework on you. And uh, we're in the business of identifying, locating, evaluating, and placing senior-level executive talent into a set group of client companies. We're hired by some of his competitors or some of his peer companies. And we've got a strong interest interest in doing business with you. Um, We look for companies that are committed to excellence, and that they have a strong reputation. And so we'd love to have some time to talk with you about how we can add value to your talent acquisition needs. That's essentially the approach. And it works. And what will I know they it sounds say overly it? simple. What, what? Michael, what? I actually have a follow-up related question. Go ahead. So, Michael, would your advice be to agency recruiters out there, once you get below a certain level, let's say you're talking about mid-management within an organization, they should also take the approach of avoid dealing directly with procurement or trying to get on lists, vendor lists, and dealing with HR or head of talent acquisition. They're better off going to the business first 100% of the time. I would argue that, but I wouldn't say that it's at the exclusion of HR. What I would say is that the first call, the first engagement, the relationship call. call starts with the leader. And then I always have found that if you as the recruiter take the initiative to involve HR and say, look, we probably need to be having a conversation with your HR people. How do we best negotiate that? How do we best arrange that call? They appreciate that. And then the HR people do because very often the leader will go to them and say, hey, this guy brought up talking with you. Um, and they just tend to appreciate it once they get over feeling kind of butthurt that they didn't get the call first. So, Animal. Animal. so that would be curious where all your audience listeners and also the people that you have on your Facebook group, I'm wondering how many agency recruiters actually don't do that. They continue to try and get in through head of talent acquisition or procurement versus the business. I don't know what that number would be. It's, it's interesting. Animal, okay, I have a question. Go ahead. Thank you, Rob. Being a corporate recruiter within the organization at at different companies, some very large, well, both of them very large, um, talent acquisition really um, had did not want to utilize outside agencies, and many times they weren't budgeted for that, or they would be, you know, harping on their team, "Why aren't you performing?" So how do you handle that? Because usually it's not within their budget, or if it is, it's for a very dire role that needs to be filled, which would be something like yours, a very senior-level role. So I don't understand how you really work with with the talent acquisition people and sell them on your services. Yeah, look, you're right. At the level that I work, very often there's some type of general corporate allocation from a budget perspective around executive search. They usually are using a firm of some sort for those kinds of searches, almost exclusively. There's a handful of companies that don't do that. So when I involve talent acquisition and they start asking questions why we should use you, a lot of times that conversation is really just around how we approach 
this search and the sensitive nature of it and how most executives at the level that I work are not normally going to respond to a corporate recruiter in their standardized approach. It's just, it's just how it is. I'm not, it's not diminishing what they do. I like to say, look, if you've got a deck of cards and you've got a hand, you want to play that hand as smartly as you can. I would argue that your resources and your unique gifts and talents are better allocated to other things than this. We are uniquely positioned to add value. And yeah, while we'll charge 35%, which might seem grossly high compared to what you might do internally, the return on investment is going to be significantly greater. Well, I just think that even the head of talent acquisitions for the companies I worked with would really then ram their recruiters for not filling that role because they did have different levels of recruiters who did deal specifically with those higher-level roles. So I'm just interested, you know, how you, you know, and I guess you're trying to tell me how you you get that relationship with the senior head of talent acquisition. Kathy, I'm talking to you. Sometimes a guy's going to win and sometimes he isn't. I don't know. Did you have a, uh, a quick answer for that, Mike? Yeah, look, I mean, you're, I used to be a head of talent acquisition at two sizable companies, and I used to do the same thing. I used to be like, look, I didn't want them in my backyard. Eventually I matured and I grew up, and I realized that there was a point where I needed those partners to successfully do the best thing for my company, and that's what I'm trying to position myself as with a talent acquisition leader. Okay. I want to know, I have to do an ad. I want to know when you, after you've called this CEO or a VP or a director and you've introduced yourself, you told us how you do that. What kind of response do you get? I want to know a little about what the, uh, what the uh, conversation looks like from there. There's something else about building rapport. You have a very strong statement about that. I'm going to ask you, but first I'm going to do an ad for our friends at, Hire Tool, H-I-R-E-T-U-A-L. You know what Hire Tool is? It's the best darn sourcing tool in the world today, okay? Here's what you do. You go to HireTool.com. You put in your search in normal English that anyone can understand. You don't have to be a Boolean genius to do a Boolean search with Hire Tool. You put in normal language, it does the string for you. It creates a string that searches a wide range of websites like Facebook, GitHub. You know, my audience should be shouting these names out for me. They've heard it so many times. Facebook, GitHub, Stack Overflow, LinkedIn, you name it. Then it gives you the results back in the order of, uh, you know, ranked order of who's best for the job, who matches the criteria best. It guesses, excuse me, what their salary is now. It guesses which candidates or which people are going to be most ready to move, I guess based on how long they've been with the company. And uh, you're rolling, okay? And if it's, it's also fantastic for finding out contact information and you know what you can check that out for free go to hiretool.com get their uh chrome extension and give it a shot you'll see you'll be happy okay tell them that the recruiting animal sent you hire tool and jerry okay jerry sent you don't say recruiting animal sent you tell them jerry sent you yeah hire tool that might have a little more credibility yeah, it might. Yeah, okay. It might. Okay, so so let's go back to to Mike. Uh, anybody, uh, you know, uh, can still inter- interrupt with questions. I just want to see, you know, 
you, you called up. You said, look, I, I'm a company that's qualified. We do a great job. You're the kind of company I want to work with. What usually do you hear back from them? What, what, do they, what does the boss say? Yeah, so there's two answers. The first is that because of the uniqueness of the space I'm in, strategic pricing, revenue growth, revenue management, and, and I don't mean this to be funny, we literally are the only firm solely focused on that in the United States. And so I immediately have competitive advantage in that call. And so when I'm calling them about those roles, they don't hear from people like me very often. And so they're more willing to engage on that dialogue. But more broadly, I'll hear things like, hey, look, we're super unique, super niche, and, you know, I'm not sure you would understand our business. Um, you know, we, we don't use an agency ever. Um, we work with an, exclu- you know, we work exclusively with one agency. Um, we don't have any openings. I hear that a lot, right? <laughs> of course you don't. You, you have zero turnover. Um, that kind of stuff is typical. If I get objections, that's what they're, they're kind of about, you know. So those are common objections. But by and large, just again, because of the unique space I think we occupy here, we, we don't hear a lot of that. It's usually like, oh, you only do strategic pricing and revenue management? That's interesting. We have to go to Corn Ferry or Hydric Struggles and have to work through their commercial strategy practice to find anybody who might even know anything about strategic pricing. So um, th- that, that's a differentiator for us to some degree. But those are some of the objections I get. We okay, work with so, this so company. That's great. That's so the, that's an endorsement right now for being very, very niche, okay? But you said – In my world, yes. Near, you said with a sneer, you said, these are the stupid things they say to me. We, you know, we're not, we, we, don't, we don't have any jobs open, stuff like that. Sounds like you re- try to rebut those guys. Do you, do you take on those objections? Yeah, absolutely, because I think there's, you know, in some cases they may be telling me the truth, and there's ways to kind of uncover that. You know, when somebody says to me, look, we don't have any openings, I'm like, well, that's refreshing. That's kind of unusual. What, what's going on in your company that's different from others that you have such a low turnover and or maybe your recruiting organization is just that good. I'm curious. So I'm really just trying to open a dialogue because, A, I could learn something. B, I might uncover opportunity that maybe they aren't even really thinking about. Um, so, And I also then use that as an opportunity to talk about what I'm sure Jerry and others on this call would do, which is, you know, look, we're not just in the business of filling openings. We, we, are, we have our hands on the pulse of this market, and we, stay, we keep clients abreast of really gifted people as they surface. And if that's uh, yeah, the kind of like relationship that you think would benefit, yeah. I'm I am strictly in the business of filling openings. I admit it readily. I've got no finger that's on the pulse of anything. <laughs> that's no joke. Look, I look, I'm it. with you because but what makes the I money? I know what I do. You know what I mean? I I I like what you I like what you do, but we don't do what you do. Yeah, look, filling jobs is what pays the bills. I'm with you, and I want to fill jobs. But if I'm trying to uncap a relationship that hasn't yeah. existed yet, and they're saying we don't have openings, I'm trying mm-hmm. just to crack the door open and say, look, I know of great people. Would you want to hear about them from time to time as we evaluate them? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm trying to do. But I'm with you, Jerry. Look, I, I, I go to the things that pay me the fastest, right? That's how I prioritize my day, just like you do, I'm sure. Um, you know, where the money is is where I go. Okay. I like you everything actually, you're saying. I want to join your team. Do you, ever actually, do you ever actually turn anybody around that they actually first, you know, try to brush you off, and then they say, you know what, let's have a conversation. Uh, I, I might need somebody in, uh, for this position. Does that ever happen? I, yeah, I think the one that where I'm usually able to turn people around is when they start saying we only use one agency. I'm like, uh, my objection, you know, the way I try to overcome that objection and what has worked a lot is that I appreciate client loyalty. We have a lot of clients that are the same way. 
Um, but were were you always, you know, solely working with that firm, or did you switch to them from somebody else? And usually the answer is we switched. And I'm like, well, why did you switch? What made you do that? What prompted that? They'll usually tell me. And so what I'll say is, look, change can be good sometimes, or maybe even provide an upgrade in quality of service. So um, we think that's a smart way to do business. And so would love to talk with you a little bit about what quality means to you and maybe give us one of your hardest assignments that you've really never been able to get done before. And let's, let's compare how you, we you've would got, do against you, your, you've got the your confidence company. to take, you've got the confidence to take on their hardest assignments. I mean, Absolutely. That's kind of asking and for trouble, isn't it? It's asking to look it is. bad. It is. Now I do, I do qualify that a little bit, which is to say, look, why is this a tough assignment? If it's, if it's because they can't move their butt in the interview process or they have a, a moving target of requirements, that's a different conversation, which is why we do such a, an in-depth prequal on all clients. But if we, if we prequal them properly and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard job, we'll take it. If it's a hard company that can't act or can't decide or you know, does all that stuff, different conversation. I'm not taking that search. Okay. Pre-qual, everybody out there, means pre-qualify. Okay? Uh, just in case. <laughs> Yeah, uh, sometimes I'm yeah, a little quicker than, than you guys. Okay, uh, I got to tell you one thing though. If I was gonna, you know, kind of urge these people to ditch their uh, existing contact, their existing recruiting firm, and take me on, I wouldn't tell them I appreciate client client loyalty. I don't appreciate it. That's the point. Don't be a sucker <laughs> for some, you know, sticking with this losing firm when you fair can point. work with us. That's okay. a fair point. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Now, 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 I got to do another ad before the the last ad before the show's over. Uh, it's going very quickly. I want you to think about if there's anything that I haven't touched upon. I got millions of questions, of course, but is you know if there's something that you feel that people have to know that you particularly can share with them, uh, I want you to uh, give you a chance to do that now. First, I'm going to talk about Honeit. H O-N-E-I-T. Honeit is a phone interview technology. Got that? The candidate, here's how it works, candidate and the recruiter, they dial into the interview just like they would call anybody, right? They have a regular interview, only it's recorded. So you have an audio recording, and it's automatically turned into a written transcript. So you can read it and search for keywords. And the main thing is, if you know that you've got those two nets under you, the audio and the transcript, you don't have to worry. Oh, oh maybe I missed something. You won't miss anything. You won't miss anything. It doesn't matter if you can't type fast or write fast. It's all there, and it's searchable. It's easy to pass around the information to anybody else on the interviewing or the hiring team. And here's the thing. There's going to be some questions that are more important than others. All you've got to do when you come to that question is press a button. And then when you finish talking about that topic, you press another button. Those questions are highlighted as clips. They're separated from the bulk of the conversation if the hiring manager wants to know something specific about the key questions boom he or she can go right to them okay so it's easy to use it makes you more relaxed because you're not worried about missing something and if there's something technical that you don't understand it doesn't really matter as long as the candidate tells you about it you can pass his or her explanation of what they do on to somebody else who is more technical than you okay so there we go, H-O-N-E-I-T.com, Honeit, the phone interview technology. Mike, Michael Hamula, 
Do you have some important message that you want to get out there? This is your chance. Well, I mean, just I mean, say no. So if many it's no, messages. you're hesitating. Hesitation means well, no. Look, there's a long list of things I'd love to talk about. Something came up on, I think it was in your group not that long ago on Facebook, where um, there was a conversation around how do you pre-qualify clients to try to avoid some of the common problems that happen later on. And I think this is where most search firms and probably internal recruiters as well fall down is in that what, what a lot of people like to call intake. Um, you know, we spend um, eight to 12 hours with a client before we agree to take the search. Um, so we do a little bit of like cursory pre-qualification before we go on site, but then we're going to go on site and interview and meet with leadership to evaluate the client, the culture. Are they really positioned to bring on this person? Are they positioned for change? Are they going to move? We agree upon search strategy and how fast they'll move in the interview process. All of those things make for successful searches. I would argue that the, the degree of success you'll have in your search is largely based on how detailed and thorough you are in the client intake process. I think that that will predicate and dictate okay. how, how so well like you do I, I, read, I read what you wrote about you because you talked to Jerry about that on, on the group, and you gave a, an at-length explanation. So first of all, do you fly out to a, a city to spend those uh, that day or two with the, the new client? Is that what you do? Yes or no? Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. So you say you like to meet with the CEO for 60 to 90 minutes and, you know, review uh, her uh, view of the business, its uh, short-term and long-term perspectives. What kind of things do they actually tell you? You spend an hour with the CEO. What do you come away with? Can you give yeah, us a, a, a real-life example? A real-life example. Yeah, so I met with a client in Washington, D.C. about 60 days ago. We ended up with a search. We're 60 days in at this point. Um, so I spent uh, about 90 minutes with the CEO. Part of that was in his car driving around town as he took me to some of their operations centers. Um, and really what I'm getting a feel for is their leadership style, their communication approach. Because keep in mind, the roles I'm hiring for usually are reporting to the CEO or somebody else in the C-suite. So I'm getting a chance to really understand the kind of leader that this individual is. I'm getting their perspective on the history of the business concrete as well example. as where they're going. Concrete example. I hate generalities. They mean nothing to me. There's no takeaway from generalities. What did this so, person yeah. tell you? Yeah, I have to be a little careful due to some proprietary well, stuff. But, you so, hold on. You've been in business for 24 years. Take an example that, that's not so relevant, that no, no one's going to be I'm able good. to identify. Good. I can scrub it down, animal. You're good. Calm down. We'll get there. So here's how it works. He's sharing with me that, look, up until this point, we've been really successful at acquiring new businesses, and that's driven most of our growth. Where we've not been successful is at organic growth. And so I'm asking him to define the attributes that would tell, tell him and lead him to believe that they have a healthy, organic revenue growth um, organization, that it's not based on M&A activity solely. And he starts defining that criteria for me. I also am learning from him. He was sharing some information with me about how a leader is going to fit in on their leadership team, describing the collaborative collegial nature, the lack of pretentiousness within their leadership team. And, oh, by the way, the next day I had a chance to sit in on leadership team meetings and really determine if that was true. You know, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually live it. So well, well, I, what's I re- the difference? I, hold, oh, hold on. Hold on. What's the difference between a pretentious leadership team and an unpretentious leadership team? Does anyone say, well, you know, we're very pretentious here? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm having no. trouble understanding. Yeah. 
No, they don't say they're pretentious, but they might be, right? So, you know, the difference is that this group, there's no silos. They, they are not sensitive about people challenging them. They don't think too highly of themselves and their position within the organization. This is a multi, you know, this is a multinational company based in D.C. They're big and they're substantial. You would know them if I said them. But the, the thing is, is that they're not, they're, they don't act that way. They're a gritty, roll up your sleeves, do work kind of an executive team. Okay, That's let what me, I let mean. Me ask by you, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So let's say I go to talk to a CEO, okay? What kind of questions should I ask? What are some, you know, three or five, even five standard questions that I should ask a CEO to get a good understanding of the company? Yeah, what are, what are the most significant accomplishments of the last one to three years, and how do those accomplishments translate into your next one to three years short and long-term strategy for the business? I want to know um, what their objectives in their their, their, their thinking is around organic revenue growth. Um, I want to know how they're going to accomplish the numbers. If they're private equity held, what are the expectations and the burdens coming from the private equity firm around revenue growth? So I'm asking those couple of questions. I'm also asking, you know, look, what's the, what's the succession plan look like for you? If you move on, you get hit by a bus tomorrow, have you identified your, your successor? I'm asking questions around how he develops talent within the organization as a leader? How does he motivate and lead through hard times? I'm asking him to give me an example of when things weren't going well in the business and maybe morale was low. What did he do to drive performance and to keep people motivated? And you also ask them how they manage conflict among one another, don't you? You ask them directly, right? Absolutely. I want to know, look, when you disagree with your CFO, how, how, how is that dealt with? How do you guys work together to come to some type of consensus. In the end, the buck stops with him. He's the CEO. He's going to make the decision. But I'm interested in how he collaborates and uses that data and to so do inform his And so do you press him for making. stories like I'm pressing you? Do you say, tell me about yep. a time? You and, you and CFO yep. had a difference of opinion. And are you free yeah. to and tell that, those? Go ahead. Am I, am I free to share the story? Yeah. Is that what you're no, asking No, me? not with well, us, t- with the candidate. With the candidate. You say, yes. look, I want to give you yeah. an idea how they work here. Yeah, that ends up in my profile of the client that I give to a candidate that I'm going to present to that I'm going to present the role to. So I work up about an 11 to 12 page document on my client uh-huh. and the role. And do you and that, tell the candidate? Do you tell the candidate warts and all? Warts and all? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I'm like, look, these uh-huh. are the significant problems this company faces. This is what's good. This is what's bad. This is what's ugly. And this is ultimately what you can expect. It's a real world view of what that person ought to expect when they get there. Okay. Rob McIntosh, any more questions? Rob, still with us? No, I'm good. I'm enjoying the, no, you're I'm good. Enjoying the chat. Okay. Anybody else? Because I want to go back to email. If anybody else wants to ask, fine. But you say you have, when you do send emails, you'll tell us when you actually send them, but when you do send them, what do you send, like 1,200-word emails, really long ones, and you get fantastic results with them, uh, an email response of, 90%, 97%, which is like almost 100%, in case you don't realize that, everybody. 1,200 yeah, words. Yeah, it's 1,298 words, to be precise. Um, and, and look, I think this is a distinct difference between the level that I'm working at and a more mid-level person. I'm, it's, it's not that they're, they're, one's better than the other. I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is that I think that at the level that I work, more information more value prop definition, more differentiation is what uh, separates the executive person in terms of their willingness to respond. 
And, and that's why the response rates are so high. Look, I'm even shocked by those numbers. Now, some of it is that I just don't send a, a ton of emails, right? A lot of times I'm calling, but when I do follow up with emails, it's a modified version of a, a longer engagement script and it's working in, in a really high return rate. I'm really surprised by it. Just like, can you just give us an idea? Up. What's, what's in the substance? Is it just like what you were telling us before yeah. about introducing your company and how it's uh, very niche and yeah. you know, you can do, if you want, yeah, if you want, I'd be willing to post it on, on your page, but um, right. I don't think there's a secret sauce here. Right. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I think even if I post it, people won't use it. I'm not trying to be an ass, but I really don't think they will. Um, I think they'll be freaked out by the link. Um, yeah, okay, it's a lot, here's it's what a you say. Here's what you say, Michael Homula. I, I spent some time reviewing what you do. You say I routinely get comments from prospects that the reason they responded to me versus other recruiters is the content and detail. They tell me they read the entire message. I can't believe it. I know. I can't either, but they do. I also attach information about our firm in a separate file. So they get two documents attached to that as well. The information about the firm and how we work and our candidate bill of rights. And so those two documents go along with it. I don't expect them to open it. Most of them do. Um, but yeah, it's a modified version of, of the call. And what's the subject and, line? Uh, what's the subject line? What's your subject line? Yeah. So um, the search on one of the searches we're working on right now is for a chief revenue officer. And the subject line is networking dash chief revenue officer, chief revenue executive. That's what it says. That's it. Uh -huh. Networking chief revenue executive. That's all it is. Okay. And you're, 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 if we assume that they recognize your name because you're active in their field, that's, that's different, but they don't always know who they're getting it from. They, they actually open that email and then they're engaged right at the start to continue reading all the way through. I'm sorry to be spending so much time on this, but, uh, I find it quite amazing. I do too. I mean, I, I think it's worth investigating. I don't have all the answers on this. What I know is the return rates are high, and I know what okay. candidates are saying. I started okay. testing this, by the way, two or three years ago, because I think that's when the trend started going to more brevity, right? I started seeing a lot of people say, you've got to shorten up your message, and I kind of disagreed with that, and I started running contrary to, you know, in a contrary way to that, trying to try something different, and it was working. And I was like, I, am I am I the only idiot that that's doing this? And it turns out maybe I am. Um, but yeah, I'm getting really high response rates. Again, I don't mind sticking this email on on the Facebook page okay. and sharing it. We got six minutes. I'm sure people will pick it minutes. apart. I've just got some 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 rapid fire questions. You say I have yet to meet a great recruiter who wasn't exceptional at building rapport quickly when executing the recruiting call. What does that mean? Yeah, look, I think you got about 60 seconds in a phone call to establish some level of credibility. I think some of that has to do with just how you articulate yourself. Are you clear? Are you concise? Do you sound reputable? Are you competent? Um, I make all of my recruiting calls standing up, not sitting down. The reason why is that it, it, it just it puts me in an energized mode, and it just puts me in a, in a position of competence. And so I, I think that that you got 60 seconds. And so that building of rapport happens because you're articulate. Yeah, but how do you bright, build rapport? You, is, it, is it the script? What builds rapport? The, the Lefkowitz script that you, you just mentioned? Yeah, uh, I, I think the Lefkowitz script has a lot to do with it. You know, uh -huh. I think what's old is new again in our business or actually, frankly, never actually went away. I think that the uh -huh. way that, that I learned from Lefkowitz 20 some years ago 
still works. I hate to be, you know, sound like an old fogey, but I've been using it. And to Rob's point, I'm making money, you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so that's the key it, measure. That's the key measure. I want to make fun In of a friend business. of mine. I want to make fun of a friend of mine before we're finished, Adam W. Gordon. I posted it today. He says, cold calling strangers is as efficient a use of time as selling mops door to door. Agree or disagree? Totally disagree. Okay, great. Okay, I think he's pretty smart, but obviously not everyone thinks so. Okay, uh, let me see. Okay, you, I noticed you post articles on LinkedIn. Why do you do that? You know, it's just kind of an experiment. I used to write a lot in this space, and then I stopped, frankly, because I'm too busy working and making money. Um, I'd like to write more, but I, I have a hard time finding time to do it. So LinkedIn seems to be just an easy place for me to do it. My my website's under an overhaul right now, and I'm, I probably will blog on my site as well as do on you ever LinkedIn. Get, do you ever but, get business or good candidates from people reading your articles? Not candidates. I've gotten some business here and there. Um, not okay. I wouldn't nothing nothing to like sing praises about you know LinkedIn as a business strategy tool. It may be I'm not consistent enough with it to really know. For okay, sure. so Other you don't have a social. More you don't have you're making money hand over fist, but you don't have a social media strategy. Am I right about that? That's exactly right. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, Rob but McIntosh, his, go ahead, Alan Fleur. But but in his space, if he's an expert, I forget the other person we all kind of know that's an expert in a very technical space and he pretty much knows everybody. Hamula's probably knows so many people in that space that it doesn't necessarily benefit him as much as it would others. So he just knows everybody. He knows everybody. What does that knows <laughs> means? You, you're bluffing them. <laughs> anyway, Michael G. Cox, Alan Fleur, Kathy Manish, the great Rob McIntosh. He, he, you know, the, you should be flattered, Michael Hamula. He doesn't call in very much, of course. Well, Gary I mean, Albright called in was because Michael was on the call. Oh yeah, okay. And we're not good enough normally, but Michael Hamula, yeah, he's here. And thank you. I just same old thing. I, as a recruiter, there's there's nothing I'm going to now take to my desk, and I am in a state of constant listening, learning, and applying. That's my thing. I got nothing from this show. I'm not going to do anything new. That's what I'm looking for in my learning phase of my career. Something is not right.